Welcome to Night Sky Tourist, a place to learn the night sky, have fun with its ancient stories, meet astronomers and dark sky advocates, and fall in love with the dark. I'm Vicki Dirksen, your host and author of the website and blog, nightskytourist.com. If you've never visited the website, I invite you to stop by after the podcast. Check out some of the great blog articles, browse through the resource page, and sign up for the newsletters. The newsletters have great content that is exclusive for subscribers. Are you ready for an adventure under the night sky? Let's jump right in. We've gone to some fascinating places on the Night Sky Tours podcast over the years. Beyond the places we've explored in these episodes in North America, we've also chatted with some great guests in England, Switzerland, Germany, Malaysia, three different places in Australia, and more recently in New Zealand. In this episode, we're going to visit two countries, Kenya and Slovenia. And we're going to do this in a conversation with a single guest. I was acquainted with Samyukta Minakumar through Dark Sky International, which was formerly known as the International Dark Sky Association. Samyukta and I are both part of the organization's advocate program, and this led me to follow her on Instagram, where we've been casually engaging with each other for a year or more. I finally reached out to Samyukta recently, and she accepted my invitation to be a guest on the podcast. Samyukta was born and raised in Kenya, Africa, and now she lives in Slovenia in Eastern Europe. She's an astrotourism experience designer, an astronomy enthusiast, and an advocate for naturally dark skies. She has a background in science communication, outreach, astrotourism, and experience design, and she brings all of this together in her approach to dark sky conservation. She has a deep interest in preserving the nocturnal environment, paying homage to our historical cultural relationship with the night sky, and using these to inspire personal reflection and sustainable growth. In this episode, she's going to share with us about night sky experiences that you can have in Kenya or Slovenia. Please join me in welcoming to the podcast, Samyukta Manikumar. Thank you so much for joining me on the Night Sky Tours podcast all the way from Slovenia. Thank you so much for having me. So I've been following you on Instagram. Uh, we've told each other that we've been following each other on Instagram for some time. And it's it was so clear to me right away that you have such a passion for the night sky. And I'm really curious where that came from. That's That's a really good question. You know, I've been thinking about this for a while and it's not easy to answer because I think I mean there are probably so many plausible reasons but I think it's it's more of an emotional thing it's like having a preference for a certain color or I don't know it's like an affinity for something that you can't really explain it just feels like it's always been there I remember since I was a kid I was always interested in astronomy and space as I grew up it kind of it didn't go away (laughs) That's one of the things that I actually notice when I when I look through your social media feeds 
or when I go to your website, like it's not just informational, like so many of them are when, when you're looking at things about night sky stuff. When I look at your stuff, it actually makes me feel an emotion. So it's interesting that you say that, that that's the thing that has driven your passion was like more of an emotional feeling about it. And it comes through in the stuff you do. It's amazing. You're great at that. <laughs> Thank you. That's such high praise. Thank you. So growing up in Kenya, what part of Kenya were you in? Uh, in Nairobi. It's the capital city. So it's it's very much a city and it's very life polluted. So what's a memorable experience that you had under the stars that caught your attention about it? Uh, do you mean earlier in life or? Yeah, in Kenya, like what, what was it that, that caught your attention about the night sky living there? Um, I think part of it was reading a lot of astronomy books uh, growing up. But another part was also going on uh, on safari a lot um, within Kenya. Uh, I used to travel with uh, my parents and uh, friends of the family to dark places, usually during the day to see animals and do these game drives through the national parks. But those places obviously are very remote and protected areas and there was never much light. And you really get to see a lot of stars. And I don't know, it's just that, that feeling of being outside and at night in the wilderness. I think that probably affects you as a kid when you're very impressionable and I think that imprint stayed with me of you know nature and the sky and this feeling of the environment being so different at night. I can only imagine what it would be like out in those areas at night like you're looking at the stars but I'm sure you were hearing a lot of animal noises too. A lot of crickets. <laughs> oh man. And so now you're in Slovenia, and uh, you said you've been there, what, a couple of years now? Have you had any memorable experiences there? And where where are you there? Uh, so I live in Maribor. It's a city on the eastern side, close to the Austrian border. In general, the city is, um, the light pollution is kind of averaged out over the city. So it's not like um, Kenya, where you have just really central, kind of extremely bright places, and then it tapers off very quickly as soon as you get away from uh, very urban areas. But here it's much more uniform. The city is very integrated with the wilderness for the most part. But in terms of special night sky experiences, there is, like I said, a lot of wilderness. So a lot of um, cities or like villages tend to be very close to forests. There's um, like 60% of the city is, I mean, the country is forested. And the forests are kind of interspersed within residential areas. So I have a forest about 10 minutes uh, by foot from where I live. And just going there at night, it's a different feeling. I don't know. I think, yeah, looking at the stars through the trees and sometimes you'll see deer or owls or um, it was recently toad migration season. So it's like carpets of toads through the forest. And oh, wow. It's really something. <laughs> and so you've, you've actually touched on something that I think a lot about, and I don't think that we talk enough about it when we're talking about stargazing. And that is when we go out under the night sky because we want to have a stargazing experience, there's so much more going on around us. You know, you talked about in Kenya, the sounds at the at nighttime, and I'm sure that you experience the same thing there too. 
there's there's so much to engage in with all of our senses. It's not just we're going to go look at the stars. Exactly. I think it's about being in a different environment mm -hmm. and really just like a bigger environment. Like I think when I go outside, I don't really think about looking up and then the sky is something separate from what's going on in the ground. But you really just feel like you're in this giant dome and the more you look at it and think about it the bigger it's getting because you realize how far away all these things that you're looking at really are and it's just like everything is integrated I think we yeah we don't speak about that enough so you know you you were far from home when the pandemic hit and um in a different place a different environment and so I'm curious what stargazing meant to you during that time of being far from home, being under lockdown with, with the pandemic? What was that for you? Actually, interestingly enough, it didn't feature that much because at the time I was living closer to the city center. And I think the space where you live, it can make a big difference on your relationship to the night sky because I was living in like an apartment block and just buildings around me. And even if you go outside and look up, you can't really connect with it so well. You know, there's so much light at night, the sounds from the cars and it's sort of, it's different. So I think at that time I, I was doing more, my work was still astronomy related, but it was much more like sitting at my laptop and mm -hmm. trying to work or like looking up stuff online and reading about stuff online. It's only when I moved sort of closer to the outskirts of the city that I've really started to appreciate going outside more and being outside and really feel closer to it. Yeah, and that's that's so true. When when you live in a city, you you almost have to like make a conscious effort to go somewhere where you can see the stars or just get away and be in nature. Yeah, yeah. you really do. I think that's why light pollution is it's just a topic that I feel really passionately about because I, you can feel the difference that it makes when you live in a different place with less light. So I know you're uh, an International Dark Sky Association advocate. And tell me how you got involved in that and what you've been doing with uh, through that organization. I got involved in 2018, around 2018, 2019. I was... Uh, working on an astrotourism project in Kenya with a group of really talented astronomers. And we were trying to teach uh, guides in game reserves how to use binoculars for astronomy to try and increase the potential of astrotourism in, in Kenya. And dark sky conservation was one of the topics that came up. So we reached out to the International Dark Sky Association for some uh, flyers and some material just to distribute it and try and educate people about it and then in 2020 when the pandemic uh, started I was kind of holed up in an apartment in a country that I didn't know and I thought maybe I could join the International Dark Sky Association maybe I could start advocating you know I'm not doing anything here I might as well try something and it started from there yeah and you've done a lot of stuff and right before we started the interview we were talking about how you were one of the speakers during International Dark Sky Week recently. Yeah, and I, I also joined the board earlier this year, which has been a huge privilege. Oh, congratulations. I missed that Thank part. You. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you so much. So if someone wanted to plan a trip to Kenya, whether they were going for night skies or not, say that someone was planning a trip to Kenya, 
what kind of recommendations would you give to them to find some really good night sky experiences? In Kenya, it wouldn't be that hard if you were going to visit the place because I think the things that most people like to do when they're there that are away from the cities, like the sky is automatically dark, uh, especially if they decide to go on safari. I would recommend going to um, Masai Mara, which is the biggest and most popular game reserve. The skies there are pristine, but there are also lots of other parks spread around the, the country that have equally dark skies and maybe less crowded or less popular um there's the Amboseli National Park which is right on the border of um, Kenya and Tanzania so you get an incredible view of Mount Kilimanjaro from the park and you'll see lots of elephants and the skies are pristine at night and also if you're into astrophotography that would make a great photo there's also Savo National Park which I think is on the west and um, if you go further north in Kenya, you can visit Turkana, which is also incredibly dark and very, very dry. Unfortunately, it predisposes the area to a lot of drought, but it makes for really crisp night skies. And also Kenya is on the equator, so you get to see both, um, both hemispheres. Mm -hmm. So it's a great reason to go. Um, so in terms of safaris um, or like wildlife, and night skies and nature and night skies, those are great. If you're visiting Nairobi, there's an organization called the Traveling Telescope that has um, the first planetarium in Nairobi. It's made entirely of bamboo and they do weekly shows. Um, you can also go on a star safari with them where they'll bring their telescope with you. And we also have a Kenya dark sky chapter now. We just started it in January. So you can get in touch with any of the members and we'll be happy to guide you that sounds amazing like i to me the idea of a safari followed up by uh stargazing from pristine skies sounds absolutely spectacular and so now you're in slovenia tell me about there let's say that we plan a trip there what kind of things could you recommend in the way of night sky experiences i would definitely recommend the julian alps um, so the Alps cut through Slovenia and the part that is in Slovenia are called the Julian Alps. Incredibly dark and very, very, very beautiful. As far as night sky experiences go, um, there's only one that I haven't done myself, but it's a stargazing walk through the mountains in an area called Velika Planina. So I think you can do like a cultural homestay and then after the, the food and the sort of introduction, they take you out at night for a walk with a guide, um, which sounds incredible, but I still have to do it. Uh, I also offer one experience that's a little closer to home and the skies are a little less dark because it's still quite close to the city. But uh, in general, Slovenia skies are pretty good um, considering that their lighting is, is really responsible. They have a law that prohibits uh, the luminaires from like shining upwards and that actually makes a difference when you're not like not in the middle of the city but yeah I would re definitely recommend the mountains and there's just so much incredible nature around this country. I lead stargazing hikes here in Arizona and we usually do it during the first quarter moon so that there's enough light that we don't all have to have flashlights on 
And I'm telling you, going out and hiking or walking at night under the stars is such an amazing experience. I can't even imagine what that would be like in the Alps. I would love that so much. Yeah, so, yeah. actually doing one of your tours is kind of on my bucket list for when I visit oh. the States. I'm so fond of the Southwest and I, I, I've seen some of the photos that you posted. I think there was like a, I don't know if it was a glowing spider or... Oh, I can't remember. See. Something that oh, was, it was glowing. A scorpion. Was like, oh, it's a scorpion. Exactly. And I saw that and I was like, oh my gosh, I have to do this. Yeah. So, so at <laughs> night when we do these stargazing hikes, a few people will bring black lights. And when they shine the black light on a scorpion, it glows in the dark. <laughs> so cool. So you've mentioned that you offer some experiences and I want you to talk about that. Share with us what you do, what inspired it and how people can participate if they come. So I just offer one experience as of now, and I call it star bathing. And it was inspired by the Japanese uh, practice of forest bathing, which um, it started in the 80s. And the idea is to spend time in nature and to use all of your senses to, to interact with nature. So it's not so much of an analytical experience, but more of immersing yourself in this natural environment through your senses. And I started thinking about just being outside at night and how enhanced your senses get. Mm -hmm. Like, of course, your vision gets a lot more sensitive, but also you hear much more and you feel much more. And in general, everything is so alert. And so the idea with this experience was to try and get people to, to feel what it's like to be outside in the dark and to really engage with how their sensory landscape changes and just how different it feels. And it accidentally ends up being kind of like a mindfulness <laughs> thing because as soon as you start to tuning into your senses, your mind kind of shuts off and you become more peaceful. But that's the experience, basically. We walk through a forest onto a hill in a vineyard and it's got a really beautiful view of this mountain range that runs through um, the city and it's relatively dark and we just sit there and go through each sense like sense by sense and we end with taste and that is like a small tea ceremony and just kind of hang out hang out and drink some tea and look at the stars and talk about life <laughs> I think we need more of that kind of stuff. <laughs> so busy, you know, and we've got so many opportunities to be entertained, whether it's good entertainment or not, you know, scrolling social media is a hit and miss as to whether people really get anything from it or not. And so um, I love that idea and because it is calming. I also have found that when I spend time with friends or family stargazing, um, you know, you're, you're out there in the dark. So you feel a little more in a way, um, how would I put it? Maybe cocooned in, you know, and yet at the same time, it's a little easier to open up and talk about, you know, things that you've been thinking about or feeling. And, and there's something interesting about, slowing down and just taking the time in that kind of environment exactly it's, it's different it's like you become less self-conscious I mm -hmm. think 
you, you kind of lose so much visual information that something changes and it's like a different way of interacting with people when you're when you're in the dark you know it's like sitting around a fire or yeah even just walking around and not being able to see the other person completely I think it allows you to just to be more vulnerable in a way I agree that's been my experience and um when I do the stargazing hikes I mean, you're moving the whole time, so there you don't get any real deep conversations, but I hear people having conversations with strangers <laughs> that I'm like, I feel like those conversations would have happened that way if it was daytime. So yeah, it's really special. That's really cool that you do that. And I and I love that concept of, of what you talked about, the Japanese forest bathing. I've been reading about that for a few years too, but it never occurred to me you could translate that into something else like the star bathing. So, so tell people how they're going to find you online. And I'm going to put links to this in the show notes so that people can just click on it and go right over. But where are they going to find you online? Oh, thanks. Uh, you can find me on Instagram. It's just my name is my handle. Kumar. Uh, also my website, which is also just my name.com. You have a really cool uh, video on your website about the star bathing and it's beautifully done. I love it. Thank you. I, I don't know if it gives, I, I wanted it to kind of give people an idea of what it might feel like to do it. I don't know if it's, if, if it's that successful, but it's nice to hear that you like it. To me, when I watched it, it made me feel everything we just talked about. It made me feel like, you know, like a decompressing, um, cause I, you know, I watch it and I'm imagining myself being there and it just feels like a decompressing quietness, peacefulness, just enjoying nature without having to talk. <laughs> and so that's, that's what, uh, that's what I imagine it being. Yeah. I, I think that's pretty much what I was going for. Great that it's coming across. And I love that you end it with something that engages um, taste. That's something that I've been kind of exploring the idea of because, yeah, when you, if you want to go outside and you're wanting to explore all your senses, I mean, it's not like you can taste the stars, but you, know, you can bring something along that kind of enhances it. Well, Sami Okta, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. I'm so thrilled that we finally got to talk with each other. And um, I'm and I want people to reach out to you if they're planning a trip to either of these countries. And uh, and I know that you'll give them some great suggestions on things that they can do. Thank you so much for having me here. And yeah, anyone is welcome. If you're visiting any of these countries, just just let me know and I'll help you plan. And I hope to get to meet you too, Vicky, sometime soon and do your guided stargazing hike. Yes, I will show you some scorpions. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. Thank you. Did you know that Polaris has not always been our North Star or that it won't remain our North Star forever? It's a bit shocking when you've always been told how it's been so reliable for navigation for such a long time. But if you rewind to the time when the Egyptians were building the pyramids, Earth had a different North Star. Why is that? 
The earth wobbles, kind of like when you spin a top and it begins to wobble while it's spinning. In other words, earth has a drunken stagger as it runs its path around the sun. How long does it take to make one wobble? What will be the North Star after Polaris? I've written all about this in my blog article titled, Why Earth Wobbles with a Drunken Stagger. You can read it at nightskytourist.com slash wobble, or you can go to the show notes and click on the link. It's time for our night sky tour. Pause the podcast, turn off all the lights, and I'll meet you outside under the stars. We're going to do something a little different for our star tour tonight. I was recently hired to give a stargazing and telescope experience at a private dinner party, and the group became so fascinated with non-star objects in the sky. There are so many interesting things to see up there other than stars, so we're going to talk about some of those tonight. And I hope that you're listening to this segment while it's dark, and you're actually relaxing under the night sky. Let's start with planets. At the time of this episode, the week of May 8th, 2023, there are two planets visible to the naked eye, Venus and Mars. It's really hard to miss Venus because it is the brightest thing in the night sky after the moon, and it's over there in the western part of the sky. Mars is higher in the sky right now, and it looks like a small red star. It's hanging out just to the east of Gemini. Do you have a stargazing app on your smartphone yet? I recommend that you download any free one and use it to identify the planets. It's a great way to learn the night sky, including finding constellations, really bright stars, and planets. I tend to use Skyview Light the most, but if you already have a free stargazing app, I'm sure it's going to do the job just fine. Another question that I frequently get is, how do you know if something is an airplane? Now, sometimes it's really easy and it's obvious for everybody. You can see the colored lights blinking on it and it's moving, and you might even hear its engines if it's close enough. But sometimes airplanes are a bit farther away, and sometimes they look like they're not moving. If you're unsure, start by comparing its location to something else, like an obvious nearby star or the silhouette of a tree, and then wait for a couple of minutes. If the plane is moving directly toward you, it can look like it's not moving for a bit. But it's not going to take more than maybe two or three minutes for you to realize that it is actually moving and it's an airplane, not a star or a planet. So then what about satellites? How can you tell the difference between an airplane and a satellite? Satellites are much smaller than airplanes. They're fairly bright, but they are quite small and they move really fast across the sky. And on top of that, they never blink. And then they seem to just vanish into the night sky. That's because you were seeing it while it was still being illuminated by the sun, and then it zoomed into Earth's shadow. If you're interested in tracking satellites, you can download the app 
Orbit Tracker. It's one of the most powerful apps for this purpose. Next is the International Space Station. When I was leading the stargazing at the dinner party the other night, something went over the top of our heads that just did not fit into any other category of what I normally see in the night sky. I told the guests I was 80% certain that we had just seen the International Space Station go overhead. It was clearly not an airplane because there were no blinking lights and it moved way too fast to be an ordinary airplane. And it wasn't a satellite either because it was too big and bright in comparison to satellites. It's really fun to see the International Space Station fly overhead and to think that there are astronauts living up there and conducting science experiments. The ISS circles the Earth every 90 minutes, so that thing is hauling across the sky. You can find out when the ISS is going to be flying over your location with the app called ISS Spotter. Another non-star object that you're likely to see in the night sky is a shooting star. Now, of course, these aren't actually stars at all, but they're bits of space debris that enter our atmosphere and burn up. Most of the time, the entire bit burns to nothing. And sometimes, if it's big enough, some of it might survive its trek through the atmosphere and land on the ground. When you see them in the sky as a shooting star, they're called meteors. And when you find a chunk of it on the ground, it's called a meteorite. And they're often worth some good money. You should check out my interview with the amazing Jeff Notkin on episodes 19 and 20 if you want to learn more about meteorites. You can find a link in the show notes. And finally, there are comets. The best way to get information on seeing comets is to follow space.com, Sky and Telescope, or NASA. Comets come and go, and some of them are visible to the naked eye, like Neowise in 2020, and some of them require binoculars or a telescope. Some of them will require help from a professional to find because they're really nothing more than a really fuzzy smudge through a good telescope. So take some time to identify some non-starry objects in the night sky. Are there any visible planets? Can you identify some airplanes? And I'm telling you, if you stay out for at least 30 minutes, you're bound to see at least one satellite. Watch until you can spot one. And it's not unusual to see a meteor burning up, although you have to be looking in just the right direction at just the right time. You'll have a better chance of seeing them during a meteor shower, especially if you try looking after midnight on those nights. You can download my free Things to See in the Night Sky in 2023 on my website, where I list all of the meteor showers for the year, month by month. You can find that at nightskytourist.com. You can find links for all the apps and other things mentioned in this episode in the show notes or visit nightskytourist.com slash 65. That's nightskytourist.com slash 65. Thank you for joining me for another episode of the Night Sky Tourist Podcast. If you enjoy the Night Sky Tourist Podcast, 
please show your support by subscribing to it in your podcatcher and leave a written review. Your reviews are really important to me and they help others discover the podcast. Be sure to visit nightskytourist.com for great articles and resources. And while you're there, sign up for the newsletter for exclusive content. We'll see you here again in two weeks. Until then, keep looking up.